Good evening and welcome to Editing Aloud. I have with me as always a panel of South Africa's best informed journalists on a day in which we've had news that the Sariti Commission on the Arms Deal has been essentially overthrown, Claudia Malevich, by the courts. Um, yes, so the High Court in Pretoria today invalidated um, the findings of the Sariti Commission, which basically found that there was no corruption involved during the arms deal. Um, so this is quite interesting in terms of what the implications it could be for President Jacob Zuma, who of course is doing his level best not to face graft charges um, as a result of the very sa same arms deal. So we would have to see, because he wouldn't be able to get away with it by just saying, well, the Sariti Commission didn't find anything, so, well, I shouldn't face anything. Uh, so yes. essentially, I think lots of people thought at the time that when the Sariti Commission on the Arms Deal reported its findings, that there was no corruption. That was basically a whitewash. Yes. Now a court has basically confirmed that it was a whitewash. Well, yes, they basically, and like, pardon me if it's very basic, but they basically found that they didn't look into crucial evidence. And when Corruption Watch and Right to Know, no, yes, it was Right to Know and Corruption Watch, when they brought the application to review it, they filed a supplementary affidavit quite recently um, in which they said they looked at the Rule 53 record and then said, well, um, look at how they have ignored certain things. And that is what, yeah, that's basically what has happened so far. So does this open the way, help to open the way to a possibly successful prosecution of Jacob Zuma for the arms deal stuff, which really goes back 20 years almost? Well, we would have to wait and see on that one. Of course, they've, the, the court still hasn't delivered judgment on the stay of prosecution. And I assume that is the first step in, in the process, basically. So we'll have to wait and see on what the court judges in that or rules in that specific one before we can go any further as to even if you will face any charges. Warren Thompson, the point's been made by some commentators that had we held the arms deal to account properly, um, maybe the sort of subsequent state capture would have been less facilitated, if you like. I mean, do you think, do you think that, that, that it was a sort of a defining moment or almost that, that Sariti found that the, there was nothing wrong with the arms deal? Absolutely. I think, uh, and just to Claudie's point, it might not directly benefit Jacob Zuma's case, but it's one leg that's removed where he's lawyers are now unable to refer to any finding that found that the arms deal was legitimate and had been conducted in accordance with, uh, with the, the lawful processes. But certainly, I think uh, many people have felt that was the point of departure for the ANC, which had held the moral high ground through the apartheid era, um, had inducted a, a, or uh, inaugurated a President Mandela that had begun to correct the wrongs of the previous regime, um, the government, and because it wasn't dealt with properly, it certainly opened the door to more uh, perhaps egregious cases of corruption uh, because it showed that the ANC was not prepared to self-regulate. And, and as a body and uh, the ruling party, um, I think it's, it's, it's been dealt with uh, by a couple of commentators who've said as much. Tisetso, does this give a signal for other commissions that will follow uh, the court's ruling on, on Suriti? Possibly, um, but I'm not sure if that will be successful um, because, I mean, this is an old scandal and people forget and evidence, you know, disappear or get lost. Uh, but 
I mean, from where I stand, I think it what it does more than anything, it throws the ball back into the uh, the NAP, NAP, NPA co uh, court as to what do you do with this now. Um, so I, that's. And that's yeah. the, surely yeah. the question yeah. we're going to be asking yeah. Claudia yeah. about yeah. the findings of all these many commissions that have sat and are currently sitting. Well, what so what's the NPA going to do about it? Well, the NPA, like if you look at people like, such as Andrew Feinstein has already tweeted and said, well, they would have to look at what happens to everybody that was completely exonerated yeah. by the Suriti Commission, of course. Yeah. But, but another interesting point of the court judgments today, I have absolutely no idea what the implication is when a commission of inquiry such as that, when it's set aside. Mm. So what does that open up legally? Do you, surely you can't be like, let's have another four-year commission of inquiry. So... Yeah. What does that mean? Into a 20-year-old set of, yeah. of facts. Yes, exactly. So I do think that that will be interesting. What is the implications of that specifically as well? Yeah. Patrick, do you have any thoughts on, on yeah, commissions sure. of inquiry in general and what happens if they are found to have not done their work properly? Well, instance? I mean, the commissions of inquiry that, 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 that have been held, very little has come out of them. And I think in the public mind as well, there's a view that, you know, hundreds of millions of rands are being spent on, on commissions. But this seems quite an unusual case that an entire commission is, um, is overturned like that. But certainly it's another instance of where our courts and our, our many brave judges have come to the rescue of the state and of the people of South Africa. And we saw this in the apartheid era where, where really it was the, 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 the judges, few among them, who, who protected us from the, the, the worst of what the National Party wished to visit upon us in the media, in the, in the courts themselves. And now we're seeing the courts increasingly having to stand up and, and take a stand against uh, excesses uh, committed by you know, the administrations of, of the past 25 years. Okay. Speaking, speaking of judges, uh, Edwin Cameron retired this week after 25 years, I think, on the bench, and of which 11 of them on the Constitutional Court. Yes, almost uh, A special session this week. Um, what, what is his legacy? Is it a legal one? Is it a broader one? I think Edwin Cameron's legacy is as, as broad as you can think. Um, there, there was a very nice, yeah, it was quite a beautiful description given yesterday, I think, by Ronald Lamola, our Justice Minister, um, when he basically said, well, Judges' judgments, they live forever. And they, they, when you go and you reference case law effectively, even if they pass away, when they die one day, they can still speak from the grave through their judgments. Um, and I do think Edwin Cameron's, but his legacy is so much more than that. Um, he's like, uh, his absolute activism, firstly as a lawyer, then as a judge, where he went through every single of one of the judicial ranks. He was at the SEA. Um, and the one thing that came through very strongly is his humanity through all of that. And if you look at the type of judgments that they've, they've delivered, such as his, his last one that he delivered yesterday, um, another one which is quite prominent is the Glenister judgment, um, which effectively dealt with like, the MPA Act and dealt with the Scorpions and the independence of it. It's, it's quite a legacy. And those are just two recent, very, well, Glenister is a very old judgment. But yes, his legacy is incredible. But just to add in terms of what you had said about the judiciary, um, Ronald Lamola, when he spoke yesterday, basically praised the judiciary and said, thank you for saving us from a total collapse during the Zuma years. 
And if you look at somebody like Edwin Cameron, he has been on the Constitutional Court bench for almost, well, the entire de decade that Jacob Zuma was president. And they warned, he said yesterday, well, we're warning you, when he got in in 2000, late 2008 and 2009, he told his colleague, colleagues, I think the first 15 years of the court would have been very easy. Um, the hard years are coming. And he said yesterday, the harder years are now coming. So, yes, quite a legacy, quite a man. And, and, and he said, so that's, we haven't even mentioned his, his legacy as someone who's lived with HIV since 1981, if I'm not wrong, yeah. and um, was one of the very first high-profile people mm -hmm. to come out and, and say it. I mean, how important has that been in the whole fight against HIV and AIDS? I think it's been incredible because um, him coming out as a high-profile individual like that, even at the time, HIV AIDS was... You know, you if you had one, you you know there was stigma around mm -hmm. it. You could even be stoned to death. I think the reason why he came out, one um, I just can't remember the name had been stoned to death because of um, because because of the fact that they were infected with uh, HIV and AIDS. So that that was that was really powerful of him to come out. It was a powerful statement to make uh, around his activism. And, and the fact that he was gay as well, uh, oh, that, yeah. that he was uh, one of the first people as well to, yeah. to openly admit that. Uh, so I think that powerful combination, I mean, if you just go onto Twitter and see the tributes that have been given to him, yeah. it's quite clear that a very disparate group of people in our society, from the Chief Justice all the way through to activists of all kinds, yeah. <coughs> have lauded him for his courage and also his, his legal acumen. So as much as much a human rights activist as, yeah. as, as a legal yeah. activist. Um, moving, moving quite quickly onto the National Health Insurance Bill, Warren, which has been <clears throat> gazetted at last after many, many, many years of uh, threats, promises. Um, we've seen Discovery's share price absolutely tank. Why? What sort of impact is just the gazetting, just, just the, the, the bill itself, before we even have the actual national health insurance, what impact is it having on the market? Oh, generally very negative and, and across uh, markets, I'm not just talking about uh, listed uh, medical schemes like Discovery, who would be one of the biggest to lose should the current form of NHI pass, because they would lose the ability to administer medical schemes because in, in effect you'd have one big pooled medical scheme administered by the state. But uh, we're hearing about uh, the kind of fear that is developing with doctors and other medical practitioners who look at a government that struggles to run basic things well and thinks um, as practitioners, will they be able to charge the same rates that they have become accustomed to? So if you look at uh, people like endocrinologists, surgeons, highly skilled and highly paid medical professionals, are they going to want to work under the system? And uh, secondly, what sort of restrictions are going to be put on the, uh, on the demand side from consumers who might have to use uh, services that they might not want to uh, in, in areas, even earmarked according to, to areas like where would you go and get uh, services from a general practitioner? So there are a lot of unintended consequences that have arisen, I think, not only just the financial and whether we can sustain investments that Discovery makes into uh, the practice of administering, keeping people healthy, encouraging them like the Vitality Program does to manage their own health proactively. 
but also on the on the human resources side you know are we going to be able to retain uh, doctors that yes we do pay a lot of money for but it's better than not having them you know uh, in, a, in a national health insurance Patrick Balder what consequences anticipated and unanticipated are likely to flow from this bill um, and taking into account that 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 certainly government and others are saying that universal health care is an absolutely legitimate and important objective is that what we're going to get well of course universal health care is a legitimate objective and and it's uh, health inequality really is kind of is is uh, it's really the center of what apartheid was all about the fact that uh, you know that that richer white people were uh, had access to a better medical care than uh, than those without and that was sort of quite clearly along racial lines obviously 25 years into democracy that's a little bit blurred and uh, obviously uh, you know it, it often comes up that members of our ruling party and other other people in top uh, positions in government uh, quite happily use uh, private services um, I think now the, the ideological battle has become that much more pitched. So while NHI has been an objective of the ANC for a decade and probably a decade plus, um, the, uh, the political playing field is such that to be seen uh, as, as the ANC not to be pushing NHI really hard opens up, uh, opens up uh, that faction of the party, if you like, to... Um, to attacks from the EFF, for example, from the, the radical economic transformation wing of the party. So there, there is a big um, political prize at, uh, at play here. Um, Even though the economic cost, Claudia, I mean, is, is that what this is about? That this is about the politics, the, the politics within the party um, as much as anything else? Um, because it certainly doesn't look like we've got the money to implement it. <laughs> well, if we, if we finally know how much it will cost, it will be great. But um, given that we don't, that's another story. Um, I, I do think it's probably a little bit more nu nuanced than that, um, than just going saying this is just, this is just a factional political battle. I absolutely understand what you're saying in terms of that it opens them up because there's a lot of... Uh, within the party, if you look at resolutions taken by the ANC... Um, especially now during the presidency of President Cyril Ramaphosa, they, whenever there's a conference resolution and they don't act on it, if you look at the nationalization of the Reserve Bank, if you look at um, land expropriation, um, it's, it's the, to try and implement resolutions, is, it's being used as a factional type driven um, tool almost. But I do think though in terms of the NHI, um, the, the politics of the NHI absolutely links into what, what the ANC traditionally stands for and what like the left, for instance, would want. Um, and as lots of people have said, it's, very, it's, it's a noble thing. Um, but the fact of the matter is it will happen, um, regardless of who complains about what. And that's the message Zulim Kize has given very clearly. Um, but he has also conceded that it won't happen without political will. And if you look at the pilot projects of the NHI, one of the big issues that they did raise is if, if it doesn't have political will, then... Yeah. Is, there, so is, is it going to happen? I mean, is it even feasible? Um, look, I, as Claudia says, political will is needed for it to happen. But I doubt um, there is enough of that because 
um, President Cyril Ramaphosa, biggest cheerleader, corporate South Africa, you know, is not behind this. Uh, they are not behind uh, this plan. So, you know, it could, you know, he, you know, he, you know, he, he would have to, you know, juggle both. Do he does he want the investment from from corporate South Africa to push uh, to kickstart the economy, or does he want um, NHI to? You know, to make sure that the NC members are not easy pickings for the EFF or the fight back campaign. So, it's it, it, it's one of those. So I yeah I doubt I doubt. And if I may, yeah. yeah. You know, we talk about political will, but you know, not to to harp on an old subject, but the state of our public hospitals is such that you've got to ask yourself, um, was there no was there no political will there? Has political will been absent for the last 25 years that, our, that, that, that a woman gives birth to a, a child standing up in, in a hospital in Limpopo? Does this political will somehow materialize out of nothing? Uh, haven't we been having political will up to now? Well, I suppose that's the other thing, is, 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 is that the kind of pushback that this may face won't only come from the private sector, though that it certainly will, mm. but from government employees themselves surely Warren. i mean yeah, who right. who is where is the kind of pushback against this likely to be if it really looks like it's going to happen well obviously your 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 upper class your access private healthcare but uh, one of the one of the government's uh, very well run and i haven't seen i haven't evaluated it uh, recently but one of their great programs was the government employees medical scheme which effectively subsidized the, the purchase of uh, of private uh, health insurance very well run um, and I think it was extended to uh, virtually every government employee. Mm -hmm. So, um, of course, it's, it's an issue about trust. And what, you know, have, has the ANC maybe misread where uh, the majority of the middle class, and certainly the black middle class, views this, views this issue and views um, access to private health care if they so choose? Uh, I don't have the answers to that, but certainly... Uh, I would suspect that many people appreciate the ability or at least the option to use private medical care uh, and pay for that when they want to. Speaking of unintended consequences, though, <laughs> uh, one of the other uh, pieces of legislation in your, which is partly in your sphere as well, Warren, is, is, is the, I think it's the National Credit <laughs> Amendment Act, which has actually all of a sudden just been signed into law yes. by the president. Yeah. Uh, which lets people off their debts for no real reason. Am I misreading it? It lets certain highly indebted consumers who earn uh, low salaries, 7,500 Rand a month, and that have unsecured credits of 50,000 Rand uh, potentially extinguish their debts. Um, so it's been quite interesting because the, I think the, f the fundamental battleground is the concept of moral hazard. Should we let people extinguish their debts? that have incurred uh, debt. And on the other hand, uh, what about where do we punish the banks that have overextended credit? Because you have this uh, kind of balancing act in terms of who bears the consequences. The lender that has lent to, I just ran some numbers, Hillary, someone earning um, 7,500 Rand a month and servicing debt, unsecured debt of 50,000 Rand is probably paying uh, as much as 25% of their salary to uh, service that debt. Mm. To me, that sounds highly indebted. And to me, both from the consumer and the lender, 
they've equally to blame for that situation where they've got themselves to this position where you have as much debt as that on, on that type of salary. Yeah. So I think the battleground between the industry and government is saying, well, hold on, we've got to be careful not to um, let these people off the hook. The other, the, the other side of the uh, issue is that if you don't let the regulated sector extend credit to these low-income people, mm -hmm. they move into the informal credit market, mm -hmm. And I can tell you the terms and, and the rates of that are much more severe yes. than, than what is uh, yes. gazetted in law. And, and Tisa, so Business <coughs> Day's uh, front page lead this week about Capitec yeah. uh, cutting yeah. its exposure to people uh, earning seven and a half thousand rand or less. Uh, you raised the question in Business Day whether, whether this was, was not actually going to chill credit extension to yeah. exactly those people who the, bill, the, the Act wants to serve. Um, do you think that's going to be, I mean, what, what are the dangers here? Um, we already see signs of that um, with Capitec. Capitec is widely known um, as, a, you, know, you know, as a leader in that kind of market in, in the unsecured lending, particularly for, for people that earn um, that much money. So if they're pulling back, um, so you worry, you know, who, where, would, where would those people get access to credit? I mean, as Warren says, they go to, you know, to machinists, unregulated, yes, yeah. <laughs> they go to them and, and, and it's, it's a problem. We, you know, it's, you know, but at the same time, though, some lenders have been reckless as, and okay. they have to be, and there has to be some kind of punishment. If you are going to lend somebody uh, who earns that much, much, much money uh, per month and they are not financially literate, and you should bear the blame for doing that as a bank, um, as or as a lender for lending somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, because they they're just struggling to get uh, some money to make ends meet. Patrick, I mean, mm. are, are the unanticipated consequences of, of this act going to always. outweigh any benefits? That you know, always. I mean, the financial sector they they're going to trim their sales to. The, to, to, the, to, to the new circumstances. Um, but, you know, but on that, I see there's a bank offering, uh, they offer you a, 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 a housing loan, a five million round, rand uh, housing loan. Yeah. I mean, really, uh, we, you know, we're talking about what level of income would a person expect uh, to maintain for the next 20 years? Um, so certainly that element of uh, recklessness is... Um, uh, you know, is is apparent. I mean, I get offered money that uh, I, I promise I can never pay back, and so, <laughs> you know, to to dangle this sort of carrot in front of poor people, yeah. um, and of course people are really pressed. You know, the, the, this uh, these loans the, they're not being taken for for uh, capital sort of goods or you know anything that's going to have sort of lasting value. Yeah. People are surviving really, um, uh, uh, you know. Month to month. Yeah. My, my sense of it, Hillary, looking at the bank results, which uh, have all had uh, very low, what would be called credit loss ratios. So the, the, the amount of loans that they're writing off as a percentage of their total loan book is at almost like historic lows. It's very low. Mm -hmm. So my sense is that the big banks have slowly over a period of years, post the, the Americana and that massive strike in the platinum industry, mm -hmm. holding back credit. And you can even see in Capitec's results, their loan book has actually been decreasing year to year recently mm -hmm. because, one, they've been worried about the economy and extending too much credit into some of these markets. 
And I think you, the more of uh, it's going to hit more of the kind of uh, secondary lenders, the non-bank, mm -hmm. uh, private mm -hmm. creditly, privately owned credit lenders, mm -hmm. uh, that are probably the ones that have been pushing the credit limits too hard because it's certainly not coming from the banks insofar as I've, I've seen from the results. One minute to go. Claudia Malovich, we started with law. Let's end with law. Uh, quick, just very quickly, the, the, the Jiba case that, yes. that, that is now in court again. What are the implications of that? If you can just run us through that very quickly. So, very quickly, um, Nomgobo Jiba was one of the deputy national directors of public prosecutions. There's four of them. Um, she was fired by the president earlier this year. Parliament now has to go through the process, but now she's gone to the High Court in the Western Cape and she wants to interdict it. Um, a lot of the factions from within the MPA comes from the level of the deputies. And the implication of this is basically Silas Ramayite, one of the other deputies, have retired. Um, Jiba, whilst they fight this, um, whilst they wait for parliament to complete it, they effectively won't be able to um, go and say, let the MPA move on, let's appoint somebody new. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. So the NPA cannot move on and get itself organized until this is sorted. Well, it can, but Sorry. you still have to get... Uh, it, it just hampers the process because they need those deputies. Mm. We're going to wrap it there. Thank you very much. Please join us again next week for another edition of Editing Allowed.